Hey, hey, welcome to another episode of She. I guess if this is your first time, welcome to your first episode. But if it's not your first time, welcome back. I am so thrilled to have you here today. I'm going to share about something that I have had a lot of questions about. I've shared a little bit about it on social media. And I just thought that it would be helpful and hopefully interesting to you to learn a little bit about this um, organization and movement we are a part of here on the podcast and be able to answer some questions that I've gotten about it and just share a little bit more about our experience. So to give a quick recap, and then we'll dive right into it all. A few months ago, my husband and I started volunteering with a program called Safe Families. And we actually heard about this program when we first got married, but we got married super young. And so we weren't able to volunteer at that time. You have to be 25 to volunteer. And I was fresh out of college, had just barely turned 22 when we learned about it. And so I was not able to actually do it. And we also were just like newly married and trying to figure out how we were going to like feed ourselves and do life and what we were going to do for our jobs and all of that. So a couple of, well, actually about three or four years passed um, where we were just busy and completely had forgotten about it. But it was, the seed was planted a long time ago. So in this episode, I'm going to share um, a little bit about what Safe Families is, what prompted us to get involved in it and what our experience has been like and answer some questions that you guys have sent in on Instagram and social media. So without further ado, let's dig into this one. You're listening to She with Jordan Lee Dooley, a personal development podcast for the everyday woman. Come invited, leave ignited. Here's your host, Jordan Lee Dooley. So let me first start with how we got involved with Safe Families and kind of how it came up. So we had heard about it when we first got married through our church, and at the time it just wasn't the right season for us. But it came back up again about a year, year and a half ago. I was talking to a friend um, just about her experience and life and family and all the different things, and she has been very involved with foster care as well as Safe Families. And then what was interesting is she brought up Safe Families again. And she's like, I really, I was telling her, I want to use our home for ministry. I want to open our home to serve. We've been talking about doing that for years and just really haven't taken like a big step to do that. And I just think it's the time to do that. And um, I was asking her for her suggestions and where she suggested starting. I think we both felt good about like opening our home to children. We were just trying to figure out what the best route to do that was in this season. And so she had suggested Safe Families maybe would be a good starting point. And then what was interesting is like within a few weeks of that conversation, Safe Families came up through our current church. Again, like I haven't heard about it since we first got married. And then we didn't hear about it for a couple of years. And then all of a sudden my friend was mentioning it. It was coming back up through church. And I was like, okay, I feel like this is like a little Holy Spirit nudge. Like, hey, it's here again, you know? And it just felt like the season we could do it. Like we're settled, we're stable, we're old enough now. We weren't old enough when we first got married. You have to be at least 25. And so... um, when I started the paperwork, I was 26. So I was like, okay, officially old enough. And I just felt like, I think we both talked about it. Like we've been saying we wanted to open our home for ministry. And we've done that through like hosting small groups or people we mentor, but like we wanted to do something to provide a place for those in need. And we just felt most comfortable with children, particularly little children. And so that was kind of how it came back up. And it just felt like, you know, we have 
the capacity, we have the flexibility, we have the finances, like we're in a place where we could do that because the thing that is a little bit different, there's a lot of things that are different about safe families versus foster care. But a primary difference is with foster care, you get a stipend from the state, like monthly, like you get monthly payments to help support the child. Um, Whereas with foster or with safe families, you do not get that stipend. It's totally out of your pocket, but usually the stays are a lot like shorter, not always, but most of the time the stays are like a few days to a few weeks. So it's not usually as big of a commitment as foster care. Definitely still a commitment, definitely still a sacrifice and a way to serve, but you don't get that payment from the state. So anyways, all of that said, we just felt like we're in a position to be able to do it. Why wouldn't we? You know, and we also like had to take into account we have experienced a loss in our family. So, you know, I think part of the reason my friend said maybe safe families would be a good place to start is just because a lot of times people say like foster care can feel like perpetual loss. You know, it's like this child becomes a part of your family for years at a time potentially or months and months at a time. And then they go home, which is like the point of foster care. And it's a beautiful thing. It's awesome when that can work out. But if you've experienced loss, a lot of times like that can, my friends like, that might be more difficult than it already is. And so um, she said maybe like serving through safe families would be a way to serve and provide a safe place without necessarily feeling like you are full on becoming parents for years at a time and then, you know, sending kids home. And I agreed with that. I thought that's, I mean, that could still be hard. I knew that it could still be hard because you can get attached to a kid pretty fast, you know, but, and I don't want to be, um, I want to be careful in how I say this because I'm not saying that we want to avoid all attachment or all things that are hard. Like we absolutely do not. But you also want to take into consideration like your own emotional capacity and your own uh, triggers and the things that could be hard so that you can really serve those that you're going to serve well, you know? And so we let some time pass before we jumped into safe families. We gave ourselves a lot of time, which I think was really necessary. I mean, I was pretty young when we went through both of our losses. And so I just kind of felt like, you know, I'm just going to take some time to heal and to uh, you know, kind of establish our, our, not establish, but like kind of get stable again and get to a good place. And um, we really have done that. And it's been a huge gift to give ourselves that time. But then when the safe families thing came up, we felt like that's a, you know, a really great thing to do. And it could be really healing and also really re- rewarding and life-giving. And so I thought, let's just try it. If we hate it, we don't have to keep doing it, but let's at least like put ourselves out there a little bit because I did have an interest in this several years ago. And this just seems like a season where we have the capacity for it. We'll see how we feel. And if it feels like a good thing, we'll keep doing it. If not, then it's not the right fit. So we just decided to try it. And we ended up having an amazing experience. Like it's been such a growing opportunity and such a life-giving experience in so many ways. Yes, it has been hard in many ways. Yes, there are challenges with it, as with anything and any way to serve. Um, But the good far outweighs the hard. And so anyways, that's a little bit of the backstory as to kind of how it came up for us, how we learned about it. Um, I've been really interested. It's been really interesting to observe on social media. Like when I share about it, so many people have never heard of safe families. And it's pretty nationwide. I mean, it's not in every single state, but it's in a lot of them. So I was like, wow, like this is something that I've kind of always known about through our churches and just connections. Uh, Not always, but for the last several years, I've heard about it. And it's been cool to hear how many people are just learning about it for the first time. And so that's why I decided to do an episode on it because I've had so many questions that I thought this would be a great place to get to answer some of those questions and just provide you with a little bit of guidance if this sounds interesting to you or something, you know, maybe something you want to try at some point. So first, let me describe kind of what Safe Families is and how it's different from foster care because I would say that's probably the primary question that I get asked. And then from there, um, we will dig into a bunch of other more detailed questions. 
Okay, so Safe Families is kind of like respite care for families in need. And a primary goal of Safe Families is actually to prevent the kids or prevent kids from going into the system. The hostings can be, you know, as short as a day or two and as long as several weeks to a couple of months. Um, But the primary difference between Safe Families and foster care um, is that with Safe Families, it is voluntary on the parents' part. So what that means is like in foster care, DCS is what is who like places, or not DCS, courts are really who places the child. So basically in safe families, parents voluntarily place children into homes and host families receive no compensation for their care. Whereas in foster care, children are placed into homes through the courts and foster families receive compensation for their care. That's like the biggest difference as well as generally the amount of time, like the length of the hosting. So with foster care, it can be like several months to several years. Whereas with foster or with safe families, usually it's like several days to several weeks. Sometimes it's longer than that. um, But that's probably the best way for me to describe the difference. Also, safe families kind of like tries to like they step in before foster care has to get involved to like help families get back on their feet. So for example, if a single mom has her electricity shut off, because this is a big question I get a lot too. It's like, who would voluntarily like send their children to strangers' homes? And honestly, before I really got involved in this world, I didn't understand it either. Like I was like, are there really kids like that need this, you know? But then when you like kind of peek behind the curtain and see into this world and you see the need and you see like the situations people are in, it's like, oh my gosh, absolutely makes sense. Like if a mom doesn't have electricity or running water right now, she would rather, in most cases, have her kids somewhere that they can get, you know, a warm night's sleep or a hot bath or whatever. Um, or if a mom ends up homeless temporarily and needs to find a job and get back on her feet, and she needs to send her kids somewhere safe. Sometimes it's in medical crisis, like a younger sibling has a, a medical crisis. We've helped a family in that situation where mom is a single mom. She has no support system. She's got older kids, but she's also got an infant who has a medical situation or mom herself has a medical crisis or various situations like that. So it can be anything from homelessness to um, trying to get a job and get back on their feet after having electricity shut off or water shut off or something like that. Um, It can be medical crisis. It can be mental illness, trying to stabilize medications, like a variety of different situations that can just warrant like, I need a safe place to send my kids because I can't both try to get a job or get back on my feet or find housing and also care for my children. So a lot of times those are the types of situations parents will find themselves in where they'll reach out to safe families. Sometimes in safe families hostings, DCS or like child services does need to get involved. Like sometimes that does happen and that can happen. But not every case, you know, the state doesn't necessarily need to be involved in. There's a lot of families who just need some support and help and temporary respite until they can get back on their feet. And that's really where Safe Family steps in. But occasionally it does turn into more long-term or even a DCS investigation. Um, Okay, so I'm going to answer a bunch of questions that I've gotten um, on social media over the last, I don't know, couple months that I've shared about this. So first and foremost, someone asked, actually, I've had a lot of questions about the approval and training process. So essentially how this works is you apply first, and then once your application goes through, you'll be be requested to get your fingerprints done, and they'll run a background check on you. Once that clears, then they come do a home study. It's not as intense as like an adoption home study. Like it's not as big of a process, but they will have someone come in and do a home study and make sure your home is safe, give you any guidelines of anything you need to change, like putting some of the things that came up for us. It was actually a lot more like relaxed than I thought it would be. But like for us, they said to put like, um, 
the outlet covers on the plugs or on the outlets around our house. And they made sure that we had like a list of a few things like you need to make sure you get a fire extinguisher and just different like things like that, that would meet their criteria. So that's what the home study is. And then they also ask you a bunch of questions about like what age range are you interested in working with or, or hosting or whatever? Um, what are you willing to take children with medical needs? Things like that. So you answer all those questions. And then also usually before the home study step, ours was in reverse order just because of some changes that were happening. But typically um, before the home study, you'll also have to complete a training. You can either do that in person or online. So then once you do all of those things, you apply, you get your background checks and your fingerprinted and all of that, you complete the training and they come and do the home study. Then once you complete those steps and get approved, you're added to a database. So you get an account where you can then see the current needs and volunteer for any that you feel led to uh, volunteer for. And usually, at least it depends on the location I've come to find, but in our location, there's usually like a waiting list of kids who need hostings. So usually in most cases, you'll get get added to the database and look at the needs and you could volunteer for one as soon as that day. Um, Another question that I've gotten is, do you have to take anyone they give or can you request an age range? So you set the age range you prefer and you're never expected or required to take on anything. Like you can go on the database and like look at the different needs and you might say like, none of these really fit our needs because we can't take on an infant in this season and that's all that's there. Or like we can't take on school age kids because we don't want to drive kids back and forth, you know, to elementary school because of our jobs or you'll be able to like look at everything and see what needs would like fit our ability to serve kind of thing. And if there aren't any, then you don't take any. Or if you know you're going to be traveling a lot this month, then you might say, maybe we'll come back next month. Like it's totally up to you, but you are in full control of which hostings you say yes to and which you say no to, which is pretty similar in foster care. I think the biggest difference is instead of seeing it in like a database on the back end, they also will like text you the needs. If a new need comes up, you'll get a text with like an alert that says two month old male, you know, infant needs hosting for three weeks in November or whatever. And then you can, it'll say like text so-and-so at this number for more information. And usually it's one of the directors of the program. So if you're interested in it, you can text them and say, Hey, can you tell me more about this? And they'll give you whatever information they have on mom's situation needs, length of stay, you know, child's needs, et cetera. So you get to really, you're in the driver's seat. You can say, okay, never mind. Sorry. That's probably not something we can do. We're like, Oh, that's actually something we're interested in. When would that need to start? You know? So it's really up to you. Um, another question that I've gotten quite a bit is do married couples, can only married couples do it or can singles apply? Both is the, the answer is both. Um, if you go to safe-families.org, there's a video on that page, at least when I uh, most recently watched it, the video on that page featured a single woman who actually lives with roommates and she's a host and she has hosted kids before several times and it tells kind of her story. So I don't know if that's still the video on the page. It might be updated regularly, but there are plenty of single people who do it as well. Um, someone has also asked, a couple of different people have asked what um, if you have to have a home or like a house or is it okay with like a small two-bedroom apartment? You can totally host with really anything, like whether you rent or own a home or if you have an apartment or a condo, like as long as your living situation is safe, it doesn't have to be big. It doesn't have to be owned by you doesn't have to be a house. They just have to evaluate it and make sure that like you don't have knives in a place that a baby or a child could reach and like a few precautions are taken. So it doesn't matter what your living situation is. Um, another question that has been asked is, do you have contact with the parents throughout the kid's stay? The answer to that is yes, but the communication or the amount of communication can really vary with each family. Some moms really want you to send pictures. Some are like completely 
you know, not even like attentive and just like, okay, cool. See you in a week or whatever. Um, so it really depends on, you know, the mom and the family that you're working with. Some would like to do video calls or phone calls to say goodnight. Um, it really can depend. In some cases, it can feel like kind of like long-term babysitting, but in other cases, it feels a lot more like straight up foster care and like your full on parenting. So I've had both. I've had like shorter term stays that just felt like I was like babysitting for a few days, but for kids in need, not just like my friend's kids. And there's something rewarding about that. And also like it's life-giving, it's fulfilling, but you're not like getting super, super attached in those cases where it's like they basically become part of your family. And we've also had longer term stays where we've had, you know, sibling groups stay with us for a month and, you know, had a lot of complications in that situation and so or in those situations so it it can really vary um but with each situation sometimes there's more communication sometimes there's less in the ones that there's more you know you feel like you're more like the babysitter and like communicating with mom whereas in the ones where there's less you kind of feel like you step more into that parent role at least temporarily and that's just kind of how it is so Another question that we've had is, does it ever lead to permanent placement? The answer to that is that it can, like it's definitely happened. People have absolutely like adopted through safe, not through safe families, but like out of safe families. Like they might, like you're coming across families in crisis. So whenever you're coming across and working with and stepping into brokenness, like you are in communication with families in crisis. That's not the point of the program. That's not the purpose of the program. And it's not the majority of cases. Like 90% of cases aren't going to lead to that. But occasionally, like there will be a mom who's like, do you think you might be interested in adopting my child? And like, sometimes they mean that and sometimes they don't, or sometimes they mean it and then change their mind. So it can lead to that. It has, I know people who have adopted through their, you know, through it started as a hosting and then that led to a relationship with the family and eventually led to an adoption. But most of the time it doesn't. And that's not really the purpose of it. Um, Another question is, do they provide car seats for the children or what is, you know, provided for you versus what do you provide? So the tricky thing about safe families is it, the, the question or the answer to that is really, it depends because like sometimes the parents will send the kids with diapers and clothes and their car seats and formula and everything they need. And sometimes the parents like will send them with like a toothbrush and the clothes on their back. So it can really depend. That's where really leaning into community and friends and family and church community, like let them all know you're doing this. Because when we first started with Safe Families, our first placement was pretty simple, but our second placement like started as something really short and led to like a ton more and it was like infants. And so um, thankfully I had been in touch with the director of the orphan care ministry at our church. And so she knew I was doing this and she kind of checked in on me several times like, Hey, is there anything you think you're going to need when these babies come? And I was like, for sure, a stroller. And if you have like any like baby seats or swings or anything like that, like or a bassinet or something, that would be awesome. So thankfully, she was able to get me a few of those things through just like families at the church. And so right before I picked up the the babies, um, I met with her first and she like gave me a stroller and a few other like supplies, diapers, things like that. So I was able to get some stuff donated that way. Um, I also had several friends who had had a baby in the last couple of years. And so a lot of them had like a car seat or things like that. Thankfully, the parents provided car seats. Um, but 
it can really just depend on each family. So that's why I wish it was a little bit more like cut and dry. Like every time you get a hosting, this is what you're going to get from Safe Families. Sometimes the Safe Families organization in your like your chapter in your location or your you know local chapter, a lot of times they have access to things. Like my um, our Safe Families director, she had made a comment to me like, if you need anything, I have like a storage facility full of like random stuff. If you need a pack and play or whatever, we can probably get it to you. Thankfully, I had like a neighbor donate a pack and play and a friend donate like a car seat and or not a car seat like a it's almost like a little bouncy seat thing for a baby um I had another friend donate um like a sling and some friends donate clothes so I got like a bunch of different stuff between friends and the church and then like I bought a few things so again it's really up to what your capacity is and what you can afford and you know what you can take on but for us like there were a few things that was just easier to buy I was like like the second night we had them, I was like, "Hun, can you just like go to Target and get a cheap high chair? And he was like, yep. So, you know, sometimes you just kind of figure out what you need on the fly. But for me, I tried not to like buy too much. I just bought what I felt like was necessary and that I hadn't been donated. So I would first always resort to asking your safe families director or what's called a family coach. It's essentially the person who's kind of like your contact at Safe Families per hosting. And it'll be a different person each time, but they're kind of like your liaison between you and mom. If there's any challenges that come up or things that come up, you kind of run it through them a lot of times and they can help solve anything. So I would talk with Safe Families first if you're thinking about doing it and see like, okay, I know I'm getting a two and a four-year-old or I know I'm getting a nine-month-old. Like, What am I going to need for that for this week? And then you can ask them if they have any access to that. A lot of times they will. If they don't, then I would then resort to church or neighbors, family or friends to say like, hey, does anyone have like a pack and play I can borrow and maybe a high chair? And usually you're going to get what you need. Did you know that 85% of the grass-fed beef in stores is imported from overseas? I know. I was shocked when I found that out, too. You would actually struggle to find American meat in the store, even if you tried. Here's why. The product of the USA tag isn't exactly what you think it is. Foreign countries can actually process their meat here and then label it like it came from the USA, when in reality, it was only processed here. Because of these labeling laws that favor foreign imported meat, over 100,000 independent American farms and ranches have closed since 2015. Good Ranchers has been turning this around for four years now by selling 100% American meat. When they say product of the USA, they mean it and can prove it. As I've been on my wellness journey over the last year or two, one thing that I've become really conscious about is where I'm sourcing my food. I want to know where it's coming from, the quality that it truly is. And it can be hard to find companies that do what they actually say they're doing and that are reliable and trustworthy and that provide the quality. So what I love about Good Ranchers when I discovered them recently is that not only do they support American farms and they're 100% American meat, but they also only sell steakhouse quality. Their beef is all USDA graded prime and choice, which is the highest grades beef can receive. Good Ranchers sells the best steaks, gourmet burgers, chicken, seafood, and more. And you can even get those crave-worthy bone-in cuts like T-bones, porterhouses, and ribeyes from them. Plus, their pre-marinated chicken makes meal prep so easy and tasty, which takes the stress out of dinner making. And I am all about stress-free and efficiency when it comes to meal prep and nourishment and all the things we have to do with our lives to feed ourselves and live the busy lives that we do. On top of that, Good Ranchers is also about half the price of those other online meat guys. Your dollar just goes further with them which I love. And I just wish I would have learned about this brand so much earlier in my journey. But here we are. We know about it now. Lastly, Good Ranchers donates 10 meals to families in need for every box purchased so you can do good and eat good at the same time. They have donated over 500,000 meals to date and since they started, which is amazing. 
If you want to give Good Ranchers a try, which I highly recommend doing, go to GoodRanchers.com slash Jordan and save $20 or better yet, subscribe and save on each box of mouthwatering American meats that will show up on schedule right to your door. Again, get $20 off and free express shipping if you go to GoodRanchers.com slash Jordan or use the code Jordan at checkout. That's $20 off and free express shipping at GoodRanchers.com slash Jordan. Another question is, can you introduce the, fa- the children to your extended family or friends during their stay? The answer to that is yes. I've introduced, especially when we had a placement that lasted a little over a month. They came with us to like family gatherings and my parents came in town a couple different times and like hung out with them and, and with us. And so yes, especially, I mean, they don't expect you to like stop your life. Like they know that you're going to have, you know, double dates and family gatherings and things like that. So we can't just like send the kids to like someone's house to stay the night or something like you can't do that. But they also know like once you've been vetted, like, and you are, you know, you pass your background check and they meet with you in person and they like make sure that you're a normal, safe, healthy person. Then they kind of are like, when we trust you, like we're defaulting to trusting those that you would trust. So be like, they kind of give you like a little bit of guidance, like be cognizant on who you're taking them around with, use your best judgment. But we're judging or we're like trusting you to host and make those best decisions when the kids are in your care. So that's kind of how it works. Another um, question is, is there any financial assistance or is it a serving opportunity? So I mentioned this already. We kind of touched on this, but Safe Families is solely a serving opportunity. So in our experience, like we have funded things like meals and any experiences we take them to, whether that's the zoo or a mark, like, you know, we took them to like a Christmas market, um, one of the kids that we hosted, but the stays usually aren't super long, so it's not a long-term financial commitment in most cases, especially if you only host occasionally. But sometimes, though, parents will send food, like they'll send snacks with the kids or they'll send a bunch of food. Like I've had some moms send like a ton of food with them, just like everything in their kitchen. They just send it or anything that they have in bags, they'll send it. And then sometimes they don't send anything at all when it comes to food. So it just, it can, sometimes they just literally send an overnight bag. So it can really depend just like with communication can vary per family, the amount of communication, the amount of food that they send or like resources they send them with, whether that's diapers or clothes that can also vary. Like I've had some parents send a ton of food, but like no clothes or they don't even have clothes. So it just can be like really a toss up, honestly. So I would just say prepare to like see it as a serving opportunity get some macaroni, get some fruit, like that goes a long way with kids. And usually that'll cover you. And then if it's going to be a longer term hosting, like, you know, to expect that. So that's just totally up to you. Okay. Another question is, do parents know where you live or where kids are staying? Or is there a common meeting place? So first and foremost, no, they only know you on a first name basis. And they also don't know where you live. So they don't share their, like your last name with them so that they can't like, you know, come and find you somewhere. And they also don't know where you live. Like they don't always even know, like, For example, if you live in one suburb of a city and you're picking up the kids downtown, like you're not ever obligated to tell them like, well, when I go back up to Granger or whatever like suburb you're talking about um, or that you live in, you don't have to like, they don't even have to know which direction you live in. They might just know that you live 30 minutes away, but that might be north, south, east, west. Like they don't know exactly where. So that's for your protection. 
If the parents have a car, which I've worked with parents who do have a car and parents who do not, if they do, you generally meet to pick up and drop off at a neutral location like a Starbucks or a McDonald's parking lot or something like that. If they don't have a car, then you pick up and drop off wherever the family lives, but usually your family coaches with you. So like you just don't know the areas you're going to. So sometimes it kind of gives peace of mind if your family coaches with you just so that you're not like going there by yourself and you kind of have someone who's an advocate and like a like a liaison to help facilitate that and make sure paper it's they have to do like intake paperwork. So mom has to sign some stuff that basically the intake paperwork basically like legally acknowledges that they're like putting these kids in your temporary guardianship. So you get like temporary guardianship of them while they're with you is kind of the best way I can describe it, which means, you know, if there's a medical need, like you have their medical information, parents sign over, like they kind of waive liability. Like I understand accidents happen. If an accident happens in their care, like I don't hold so-and-so liable. Like they just have to sign off on all that just so that you are protected. And, you know, you're not like illegally holding kids for weeks or days at a time. Okay. Another question is, are you allowed to take the children places like to your relatives, homes, outings, et cetera? The answer to that is yes. Another question I've gotten a few times is, do you advocate for them in court, like in the foster system and our long-term placements possible? No, you don't do really anything in court through, say, families. Now, if DCS gets involved in one of your cases or DCFS or whatever, like the acronym varies per state. But my point is, if child services does get involved, like if a report is made or it's like, you know, safe families realizes like this is beyond safe families, this should probably be like a state situation. If they're with you for that amount of time, which we have had happen, um, that and sometimes it's you know it, it can be for any reason like if if the state gets involved for any reason if a report is made anonymously or through somebody or if safe families needs them involved or anything like that like regardless of how it happens my point is sometimes it can be longer term placements because they might be investigating or whatever they can be you know up to eight weeks or ten weeks or whatever but they're usually shorter like a week or a weekend you know whatever once a month and what's cool is. Through safe families, you do get to build a little bit of a relationship with families, which can also happen in foster care. But through safe families, like because you have a little bit more like direct communication with the parents since it's voluntary, a lot of times like hostings can be repeat. So you might like host the same kids one weekend every month if like you're providing respites. Or if you like host the kids for several weeks at a time because of like a crisis that happens in the family, you might build a lot of trust with that parent. So a lot of people ask me, like, is it so hard to send them home? And the answer is like, yes, to a degree. But at the same time, there's also like a relationship that's built. So a lot of times it's like you almost like know that at some point they might ask you to host again. So it's not usually like you're saying goodbye forever and never going to see them again. Or you're able to at least like text mom and be like, how are the kids doing? You know, just like you do have that little bit of open communication, which is a gift. So anyways, my point is you don't advocate for them in court unless it turned into like a foster care situation, but that's pretty rare. So through safe families, you do not. And long-term placements are possible, but long-term in safe family world usually means like a few months, not like years at a time. So hopefully that answers that question. Another question I've gotten is, can you participate in safe families if you have kids of your own. Yes, man, many, many families do. Um, that actually can be really beneficial for your kids to kind of see a way to serve and also see ways other kids are raised. And it can also be really beneficial for the host kids to, or the say families kids, like the kids that you're hosting to have other kids involved. So yes, it, it can be either way. Um, another question is if the child got an injury in your care, are you held liable or are you legally protected by safe families? So I touched on this briefly a second ago, but you are protected by safe families. The parents have to sign intake paperwork and acknowledge this. So you're pretty much covered there. 
Another question is, does this only work if you are at home with them? Like, do they go to daycare if you work during the day? How does that work? So the answer to that question is it can work either way. You can host kids who are school-aged or in daycare. And I'm almost positive some hosts who work outside the home get childcare or daycare for them if they're not already in one. Like um, one of the kids that we've hosted, I know that she she went to another host before she was with us, like a few months prior to that or a few weeks prior to that. And that host works full-time and wasn't able to stay home with her, but she wasn't school-aged yet. And so she got daycare for that child. So you can also get that, I believe, if you need to. Another question is, what if the child is school-aged? You know, how does that work? So you would either drop them off and pick them up at their school or arrange transportation for them. So that's pretty much how that works. Someone else asked, are you allowed to buy gifts like toys, clothes, et cetera, that they cannot take back with them afterwards? So we bought some toys and just things to have here that are like are for the kids that come, you know, that we host, um, that we just leave in like a bin and we have like a big playpen. So it's like, that's for the kids. We have, we basically host kids under the age of five. So the toys that we have are pretty age appropriate for babies and for like toddlers through like four years old. Most of the stuff that we've gotten though, because we had a pretty long-term placement of babies is baby stuff. So we kind of are probably going to lead into the age group a little bit more, but yeah, you can get clothes or you can get clothes gifted or donated from your church or say families or neighbors or whatever, or you can buy some for them if you know you're going to have them a little longer than the amount of clothes mom sent them with. Like if you're like, okay, I'm going to have this kid for two weeks and there's three outfits here. Yeah. Like you could buy them some clothes from Amazon or go to, go to Goodwill if you don't want to spend a lot of money or do whatever you want. But yeah, you can totally gift them stuff and you can send it back home with them or you can keep it at your house for the next time in case you think you might have them again, or if you have another you know child that age. So you can absolutely buy stuff. Someone asked, is it potentially long-term care like fostering or more of a babysit as needed situation? It can be both. So like babysit as needed situation is more like the respite care. So respite is like giving mom a break or like giving her a little bit of support like once or twice a month. Like if she's just going through a really hard time with finances or health or whatever, but it can also be a much more long-term care thing as well. Like it can turn into a month or several months. Or I actually talked to someone on social media who had a safe families placement that started as like a week. And then it turned into nine months because mom had to go to prison or something like that. And they were willing to step in kind of as like, you know, a little bit more long-term guardians. And so there's a legal process to how that would all work, obviously. And sometimes the state's involved in those cases. But my point is, yes, it can potentially lead to long-term care, but it can also just be like respites, like a week break. So mom can like try to go back to work and get some get her electricity back on or things like that. So it really depends. Someone asked, is there ever situations where the kids should not be with their families? The answer to that is yes. And you could definitely run into that. And your safe family representative or family coach would be aware of that as well and would know the best steps. So a lot of times you'll work with them if you like have noticed mom saying certain things or doing certain things or behaviors that are alarming. You can bring that up to your safe families hosts or coach and then you'll kind of go from there. Okay. Let me see if I have any other questions that have come through. And okay, so another question that I've gotten is, did you get a placement quickly? Like how quickly after getting approved do you actually get a placement? We had a placement within like a few days of being approved. To be honest, like the need is a lot greater than I thought it would be. I think that can vary by location, but there's a waiting list of kids with our chapter. And apparently that's pretty common. Like a lot of chapters have waiting lists. So like meaning like you sign up and there's like three or four kids 
waiting to be hosted or needing to be hosted in your dashboard. So if any of them fit, you can say yes to any of them. Um, another question I've gotten is, did the, do the kids come with clothing or have you like had to purchase them? This is very similar to like the whole food question or car seat question and whatnot. Like some kids have a little bit and some have not so much. Like I noticed with one of our hostings, they didn't have a lot of like age and weather appropriate clothes. Like there was a big bag of clothes, but like most of them were like either outgrown or the clothes were, the clothes were either way too big or way too small and they weren't right for the season. So you might run into that where you're like, wow, there's so much clothes here, but these kids can actually only use like two of them, you know, two of the pants or whatever. So you might notice that. Um, I'm trying to think if there's, let me look and see if there's any other questions. Oh, someone asked like for us personally with our experience, like what my favorite part of having safe families, kids in our home is, and like just doing this program. And I would honestly say doing it with my husband, like just getting to see him be the hands and feet of Jesus and love so well, especially, especially after being a little bit more hesitant at first. Like, I think that's pretty common with guys. Not always. Like, I don't want to stereotype and say that's true across the board, but with a lot of my friends who've like fostered or done safe families or adopted or done anything in this like world, a lot of times like the guys were a little bit more hesitant. Like, I don't know how to take care of an infant or like, this is someone else's kid. Like, I don't know, you know, just a little bit more like willing, but like nervous, you know? And I think that's kind of where Matt was. And it was so cool to see how just in like a few days time, he completely transformed from being like kind of at an arm's distance and like hesitant and like guarded to like teaching this sweet little 18 month old we had like how to say please and thank you and like disciplining and like wrestling on the floor and like, you know, just being like so involved and like, I don't know, just surrendered to it, I guess. And it's just cool to see like experiencing the way that God has really softened both of our hearts after they had been hurt and hardened through loss and just things that, you know, negative experiences around babies and kids. Like I have always loved kids. I have always been pretty good with kids. And I don't say that to like toot my own horn. It's just something that comes naturally to me. Like it's some people are gifted in that way and some aren't. And it's just something I've always enjoyed. And then after loss, like I just felt so hard toward babies and kids and moms and just like all of that. And so it's been cool to see just like through kind of stepping outside of our comfort zone, the way God has really like softened our hearts and like healed those areas where I just felt bitter and afraid and like angry. And I think I really needed that. Like I think my body and my brain need have needed like a positive experience with babies and our marriage needed that because it just felt like anything around babies and like kids and whatnot just felt like we had bad experiences with in the past. And so it kind of has been a really helpful and healing transition to start looking to the future with hope rather than just with like fear and anger. So anyway, that's just been like probably my favorite part is just to see the healing, healing aspects of it and like the redemptive aspects of it that God has worked in both of our hearts and also witnessing like just the way my husband has been so like, I don't know, just how he's like transitioned from being so hesitant to being more like passionate about this kind of work and just like open to it. So anyways, let me think. Oh, I think that's, I have one more question and then I'll kind of wrap up. So the last question is, do you think it's a good idea for a single person to try to do something similar to you with safe families? So here's my answer to that. Yes, but I would probably start with just one kid as opposed to starting with multiples or like sibling groups. So that's not to say you can't do multiples or sibling groups. Like you absolutely can, but I would just say like for your, unless you already have had kids and like have raised kids, but if you're like, I don't even know where to begin, but I think this would be really cool. I would say just like start with one. And they ask you that, like, how many kids do you want to start with for your first hostings or your first hosting? You can say one. Like, that's actually what we originally did. And then we still ended up taking a sibling group, but it, that was because it was only for one night. So we were like, we can handle a two and a four-year-old for one night. Um, so it really depends. But my point is like, just start small and don't bite off more than you can chew. Allow yourself to kind of 
adapt to it, get used to it, try it, you know, learn what works for you, learn what doesn't. Cause it's a lot when you're outnumbered by kids, especially if it's something you haven't done before. Like if you haven't raised multiple kids, it can feel like a lot. So just set yourself up for success. Like that was what the safe families director slash family coach told us when she came to do our home study. She was like, set yourself up for success. Like don't overcommit to like taking on two kids at a time and like kids with medical needs or anything like that. If that's going to make the experience overwhelming or negative for you, because then you're never going to want to host again. She's like, start with something that feels easy and doable for you. And you can always increase the intensity from there. Whereas like if you if your first hosting is like traumatic and overwhelming and terrible and like too much, then you're not going to want to do it again. So that was really good advice for us. And I'm just passing that along in case this is something that you're interested in. Okay. I've answered a ton of questions. I've shared about a bunch about our experience. I love Safe Families. I think it's a really cool program. It's a great way to kind of dip your toe in the water of like the foster world, adoptive world without like jumping into the deep end of the pool. And it's also just, even if that's something you're never interested in, it's just a really cool way to serve and use your home for ministry, use your time to serve. Um, without also like committing to the next year of your life, you know, and things like that. So it's just a really unique, and I love that, you know, they try to prevent kids from going into foster care if it's not absolutely necessary. Like the goal is keep families together if we can. So I just really believe in it. I think it's a beautiful program. We've been really blessed by it and um, have had a really good experience. So if you're interested in learning more or want to apply and see if it's in your area, go to safe-families.org. And that's where you can find all the info, application, you can watch videos, like you can learn all the things there. Um, And yeah, that's pretty much all I have. So thank you for listening to this. Thanks for walking along this little journey that we've been on with this experience. It's been really transformative for us in many ways, healing in some ways, rewarding in others, hard in some, but really, really worth it. And I'm just honored to get to share this with you because I know it's not something we all know about. We've all heard of foster care, but very few people really have heard of or even know what Safe Families is and that it's even an option. So maybe it's in your area, maybe it's not, but if it sounds interesting to you, I encourage you to at least pray about it and uh, maybe give it a shot. Maybe, you know, look into it ask some questions, see if your church is involved with it. A lot of times churches do partner with Safe Families or a similar organization like Family Hope or something similar to that. So if it's not in your area, then I would look up like respite care for kids or ask someone at your church if they know of anything similar. So that's all I have. Thank you for listening to this. If you have any questions, feel free to shoot us an email or message us on social. And um, if you want to check it out, go to that link. We'll be sure to put it in the show notes. Thanks for listening. I'll talk to you next time. I'd love to hear from you. It makes me so happy to see you tuning into this show. So if you're on Instagram, let me know what your favorite part of the show was by taking a screenshot of the episode you've tuned into and share it on your story. Tag me at Jordan Lee Dooley and tell me what your favorite quote or takeaway from today's show was so that I can see what's helping you and even feature what you share. This keeps me inspired and encouraged to keep creating new content And it's a great way to share something that your friends might love too. I can't wait to see you in Instagram world, my friend. Thanks for tuning in. To learn more about the She Podcast or to get involved in Jordan's growing community, visit jordanleedooley.com. Thanks for joining in today. Until next time, remain committed to intentional choices that refine your heart, faith, health, and work because your story is much too important to settle for anything less.